Welcome back to part two of the HSF podcast, exploring the new Securitive Payment Legislation in Western Australia, the new Building and Construction Industry Securitive Payment Act 2021, which we refer to as SOPA. I'm Laura Bolt, a specialist in drafting and negotiating construction and infrastructure contracts in the renewables, mining and oil and gas space, and a senior associate in the project's energy and infrastructure team in Perth. I am Kate Bauer and I'm a specialist in construction and infrastructure disputes in the renewables, mining and oil and gas space. I'm also a senior associate in the disputes team in Perth. You might recall from our first podcast, which talked about the introduction of stage one of SOPA, which came into effect on the 1st of August 2022. And if you haven't listened to that already, we'll include a link on our LinkedIn pages and it's available on SoundCloud. So what are we going to talk about today, Kate? Today, Laura, we want to give a brief update on stage two of the SOPA, which took effect on 1 February 2023. But the main purpose of today's session is to do a deep dive on one part of the SOPA that is unique to Western Australia, the ban on unfair notice-based time bars. The new SOPA aimed to introduce fairness in contracting practices, and one way it did this was by voiding unfair notice-based time bars in certain circumstances. And there was a view within industry that notice-based time bars would be misused by some principals and contractors to get out of liability for claims, such as extension of time and delay cost claims or variation claims. That's right, Laura. And today we are primarily going to address the following key points. First, what are notice-based time bars and why are they important? Second, the reason for the legislative intervention. Why did the Murray Report and Fiocca Report find that principals and head contractors are misusing time bars and the reasons for that view? And thirdly, what does the new SOPA say on notice-based time bars? And it's a really timely topic as we're starting to field a lot of questions from clients about time bars. Some are asking, have they been banned in construction contracts in WA under the new SOPA legislation? And if they haven't, how do we draft provisions on time bars in our contracts to ensure we don't fall foul of the new legislation? So we want to address those questions. And before we do a deep dive into notice-based time bars, we want to give a really quick overview of stage one of the SOPA which we talked about in our first podcast, and an update on the stage two changes, which came into effect of February of this year. Laura, do you want to do a recap of stage one? Sure. So here's some of the key points we made in our first podcast. Firstly, the new SOPA takes effect in three stages. And as we mentioned, stage one came into operation on the 1st of August last year. Secondly, SOPA and the new adjudication regime applies to construction contracts entered into after that date. But for construction contracts entered into prior to the 1st of August 2022, the Construction Contracts Act still applies. And thirdly, one of the key changes brought in under the SOPA is the new statutory payment claim regime. And the other significant change is the requirement to issue a payment schedule in response to a statutory payment claim. We also ran through some interesting case studies. And a lot has happened since our last podcast, hasn't it, Kate? That's right, Laura. Since our last podcast, stage two of the SOPA Act came into effect on 1 February 2023. Broadly speaking, there are four significant changes that came into effect under stage two. Firstly, under the new SOPA, it is an offence to threaten or intimidate claimants or persons entitled to make a payment claim, and a penalty of $50,000 applies. So, for example, if a principal of an EBC contract says to a contractor, if you make a payment claim under the SOPA, 
I will make sure you are blacklisted from tendering on any further contracts in the industry. That could constitute a threat for the purposes of the SOPA. And secondly, there is a requirement to provide a minimum of five business days notice before having recourse to performance security, including bank guarantees and retention monies. This is a significant change. What are the other significant changes, Laura? So the third key change is that the first stage of retention trust scheme came into effect in relation to construction contracts over a million dollars, although this will reduce to only $20,000 from the 1st of Feb 2024. And finally, regulators got more powers under the Building Services Board, but these are topics for another podcast. That's right. And now we've done an overview of stage two of the implementation of the SOPA. Let's do a deep dive on the notice-based time bar regime in the SOPA. The first topic is really an explainer. What are notice-based time bars and why are they important? We really want to go back to first principles and take a look at why we have these time bars in contracts. So Laura, taking a step back, what is a time bar and what is the purpose of a notice-based time bar? So Kate, a time bar is a clause which requires a party to exercise a contractual right, such as that of an extension of time, within a certain time and in a certain way. For example, by giving a notice containing specific information. And as you know, it's not uncommon in bespoke contracts for there to be a clause which says, for example, if a contractor doesn't put in a claim for an extension of time within, say, five business days of becoming aware of the event that gives rise to the delay, then it is barred and cannot make a claim. So a time bar clause is, in effect, a type of exclusion clause. So why do we have time bars in contracts? Effectively managing time on a project is of paramount importance. The notice-based time bar is one valuable tool that emerged over time to aid with this pursuit by establishing clear and specific time limits within which certain actions or claims must be initiated or communicated. It's important to emphasise that it was also introduced to give a principal or a superintendent the opportunity to investigate the claim or reason for the claim to quickly manage events in real time and using contemporaneous project records where possible. For example, if a principal received notice of a potential variation, the principal could ask the contractor to not carry out that work. Or if a head contractor received notice of an extension of time claim, or could take action to mitigate the delay or ask the contractor to accelerate or resequence the works to ensure that it achieved the required completion date. And that's right, Laura, it's not a new concept. And that is because these notice-based time bars do have a helpful purpose. The concept behind a notice-based time bar revolves around providing a project owner with a clear overview of the program or schedule, both present and in the inter immediate future. What time bars are trying to avoid is a contractor compiling claims and submitting them after the works have been completed or providing notice of an extension of time claim a significant period after the contractor became aware of the delay. Sure, and these clauses are included in bespoke contracts and also numerous standard form contracts, such as the FIDIC Silver Book, which is the EPC or turnkey contract in relation to both contractor extensions of time and delay cost claims. And that requires a notice within 28 days after the contractor became aware or should have become aware of the event or circumstance. Otherwise, there will be no extension of time or additional payment. And FIDIC states that the employer shall be discharged from all liability in connection with the claim. 
The most common notice-based handbar clauses relate to extensions of time, delay cost clauses and variations. And there was recently a practice note published by the Society of Construction Law Australia on time bars. And that says, and it's consistent with our experience, the time bars are also used in other types of clauses, such as latent condition clauses. Yeah, and the issue with notice-based time bars appears to stem from a perceived, or in some cases an actual, misuse of notice-based time bars on projects. There can be a point of contention when negotiating construction contracts, primarily because failing to comply with a notice requirement means losing a particular right, for example, the right to make a claim, and that can be really significant. Say, for example, a contractor has an EOT claim for 100 days and, let's say, $28 million. If a time bar clause applies and it is not complied with, the claim fails, and the consequences can be quite severe. So as well as having to absorb that time and costs, the contractor may potentially be liable for liquidated damages. And it's for that reason that we move to the second part of our deep dive into notice-based time bars, the reason for legislative intervention. Thanks, Laura. In the Murray report, which we discussed in our first podcast, Mr Murray noted that contracts containing time-barring clauses were seen as a major issue by stakeholders. On one hand, Mr Murray said there is a balancing right of the principal to receive notification of cost and time implications of an extension of time claim, for example. But on the other hand, that has to be balanced against the right of a contractor or subcontractor to receive an extension of time if its work has been delayed by a qualifying cause of delay and it has a right to payment for additional time spent on the project. And that balancing of rights point is crucial. I also think the problem stems from a feeling within the industry that time bars are being used as a weapon, and that was noted as well in the Murray report. The members of Sockler have commented that time bars do frequently go beyond the legitimate interests of paymasters and do operate unfairly. That unfairness operates particularly at the lower rungs of contractual ladders. And that point about the lower rungs of contractual ladders is interesting. There are examples where a head contractor may give a subcontractor a set of terms on a take-it-or-leave-it basis, and a subcontractor may not either appreciate that there is a time-by clause or may not have the negotiating power to require that it be amended to make it more reasonable. The Fiocca report also recommended that legislation prohibit unfair time bars in WA and agreed that although that would result in curtailing a freedom of contract, it was necessary to relieve parties from the consequences of failing to give a required notice, being the harsh result of an extension of time claim or a variation claim being denied. But there wasn't unanimous support from stakeholders for the introduction of provisions prohibiting unfair time bars in WA. Kate, was there discussion in the reports about what is a reasonable time frame for providing notification of an event, such as an EOT or a variation? Well, one of the stakeholders in the Murray report thought that timeframes which would be insufficient for the subcontractor to both formulate a claim as well as carry out their works in accordance with the construction program might be considered unreasonable. Yeah, and that report also said that a provision requiring a party to give notice within three business days of an event happening with full time and cost details would be unduly onerous, but a longer period of 30 business days might not. So let's move on to topic three. What does section 16 of the SOPA say? We were just talking about the reason for legislative intervention in respect of notice-based time bars. So when the new SOPA came in, It introduced a regime that hasn't been seen in other SOPA acts in other jurisdictions. 
it introduced a provision on notice-based time bars having no effect if declared unfair in a particular case. The purpose of Clause 16, as set out in the explanatory memorandum, is to ensure a better balance is struck between upholding the contractual rights and interests of the parties on one hand, and on the other hand, not permitting one party to use its position to deny an entitlement under a contract on the basis of unreasonably short or unreasonably onerous notice requirements. So now let's look at what Section 16 says and some key points to consider. Section 16 says that a notice-based time bar in a construction contract may be declared unfair and therefore void if compliance with the provision is not reasonably possible or would be unreasonably onerous. Now, Kate, how does an adjudicator or decision maker determine whether a notice-based time bar is unfair? That's a good question, Laura. In Section 16, it sets out the factors a decision maker or adjudicator must take into account in deciding whether a notice-based time bar is unfair. There are six considerations. First, when the party required to give notice would reasonably have become aware of the relevant event or circumstance. Second, the relative bargaining power of each party. Third, an irrebuttable presumption that the parties have read and understood the terms of the construction contract. And the other three considerations are, fourth, a rebuttable presumption that the party required to give notice possesses the commercial and technical competence of a reasonably competent contractor. Fifth, if compliance with the provision is alleged to be unreasonably onerous, then whether the matters set out in the notice are final and binding. And finally, anything named under the regulations. And presently, there isn't anything named under the regulations. Interesting, Laura, that sounds fairly broad. But the first point we want to make about this provision, Section 16, is that it is not a blanket provision on time bars. The SOPA doesn't say that time bars themselves are void. What it says is that time bars may be declared to be void in certain circumstances, with the, event, with the emphasis being on certain circumstances. The first question is, Laura, which time bars does it apply to? And that's a really interesting question. If we look at the definition of notice-based time bars, there are two limbs. The first limb is a notice that relates to costs claimed under a construction contract. And the second limb is for an extension of time for doing the thing that affects the cost entitlement referred to in limb one. However, I know also that the definition refers to any of the things I just mentioned. So it could be limb one only, i.e. costs only, or both of those two limbs, so costs and time. So that would apply to a time bar in a variation clause, a time bar for an EOT claim where the claim also included a claim for delay costs and latent conditions and so on. But are there any time bars you think it might not apply to, Laura? So it's arguable that it might not apply to, say, a force majeure clause where a contractor is entitled to an extension of time only, but no costs. So that's the second point that we want to make. It doesn't apply to all time bars. Interesting, Laura, that sounds fairly broad. But the first point we want to make about this provision is that it is not a blanket prohibition on time bars. The SOPA doesn't say that time bars themselves are void. What it says is that time bars may be declared to be void in certain circumstances, with the emphasis being on certain circumstances. The first question, Laura, is which time bars does it apply to? 
That's right. And one thing we do know is factors a decision maker can't consider in determining whether a time bar is deemed unfair in particular circumstances. And this is the third point we want to make. The Act says that a decision maker can't take into account any provision of a related contract or things that happened under any related contract. So how might that work in practice? Well, say, for example, a principal and a contractor were parties to a number of project agreements. There could be a construction contract, a power purchase agreement and various financing documents. In determining whether a notice-based time bar clause under the construction contract is unfair, a decision maker could not take into consideration the provisions of the other project agreements, such as the PPA or the financing documents. Do we have much guidance about what a decision maker can take into consideration? It's a good point, Kate, but we don't yet. At present, all we know is the factors that a decision maker could take into, into consideration, which we've already mentioned. But we also don't know the weight that a decision maker will apply to each consideration. And that's the fourth point that we want to make. And the best way to explain the factors would be to use a case study. So what is our case study today, Laura? So this time we have head contractor PTY Limited, who is a sophisticated tier one contractor with in-house legal, commercial and technical teams. And it is contracting with small subcontractor PTY Limited in the suburbs. And this subcontractor is relatively unsophisticated, small, and was given the contract by head contractor co on a take it or leave it basis. What does the time bar clause in this contract say, Kate? It says that within two business days of becoming aware of a possible delay, small subcontractor PTY Limited needs to provide a notification of a delay. It then needs to make a full extension of time claim within a further five business days of becoming so aware. And the full extension of time claim needs to include a delay to the critical path, amounts of delay damages that will be incurred, and the steps small subcontractor PTY Limited will take to mitigate. If small subcontractor PTY Limited doesn't give the notices on time, it will be time barred from making an extension of time claim. And let's assume that small subcontractor suffers a delay due to inclement weather, which under the contract would give it grounds to claim an extension of time. However, small subcontractor is delayed in issuing its notice of delay by two weeks and doesn't actually submit the claim until two weeks after that. And so it's out of time. What happens if small subcontractor tried to challenge the notice based time bar as unfair and unreasonably onerous? What factors would a decision maker look at in determining whether to declare the time bar provision unfair or not? Well, the decision maker must look at all of the factors listed, one of which is the relative bargaining power of each party in entering the contract. In the explanatory memorandum, it states that often unreasonably short notice-based time bars with no real commercial purpose are presented on a take-it-or-leave-it basis and operate to the detriment of contractors particularly subcontractors who lack the bargaining power to negotiate their inclusion. In this scenario, one of the factors a decision maker would consider is the relative bargaining power, which is imbalanced and in head contractor PTY Limited's favour. Are there any other relevant factors, Laura? So another one of the factors is if compliance with the provision is alleged to be unreasonably onerous, whether the matters set out in the notice are final and binding. As the notice provision included onerous requirements and had tight timeframes, this would likely weigh in favour of declaring it unfair. Anything else that you can think of? Well, there are certainly a number of factors which weigh in favour of a decision maker making a declaration that the notice-based time bar clause is unfair in this circumstance. 
But Laura, how does small subcontractor PTY Limited go about getting a declaration that the clause is unfair? And that's a really good point, Kate. And that's the fifth point that we want to make today. It's not just adjudicators who can declare that a notice-based time bar is unfair in particular circumstances. Such declaration can be made by an adjudicator, the court, an arbitrator, or by expert determination. But how would that work in practice? Well, say small subcontractor PTY Limited made an adjudication application under the new SOPA in relation to a statutory payment claim. In the adjudication application, small subcontractor PTY Limited may ask the adjudicator to find the notice-based time bar provision was unfair and the adjudicator may make such a finding. But adjudication isn't the only forum in which small subcontractor PTY Limited can seek a declaration. If, say, there was an expert determination under the contract or an arbitration or court proceedings, it could ask the expert, arbitrator or judge to make a declaration. But what if a finding is made? What does that do to the time bar clause, Laura? Well, one thing we want to emphasise is that if a decision maker finds a notice-based time bar to be unfair in particular circumstance, say in relation to the extension of time claim for inclement weather in our case study, there could be another extension of time claim made months later, which a decision maker finds isn't unfair. What about if the time bar is actually deemed unfair and void under SOPA? That's a great question, Laura. In essence, what it could mean is that if a principal or head contractor has refused his claim because it falls outside of the time period stipulated under the contract, then potentially the contract or subcontractor could be granted its extension of time and associated delay costs. And then depending on the terms of the contract, the contractor may not be liable for delay liquidated damages associated with the delay. This is just one of many examples of what could happen. And there are certainly other practical implications of these changes in the SOPA. Certainly, if clients or businesses who are involved in construction are concerned about these changes, they shouldn't hesitate to reach out to us to discuss. I expect that parties will be more inclined to negotiate more realistic time bar provisions rather than risk such a provision being declared unfair. And this is especially so given that SOPA is not the only legislation that has time bars in its sights. Another issue that I just want to briefly mention is that whilst the WA government implemented the executive payment reforms to address unfair contracting arrangements, it's also worth noting that the Australia Consumer Law, or ACL, provides relief for small businesses from unfair contract terms. And although it's outside of the scope of this podcast, it's worth noting that additional amendments are being brought in, which will apply to small businesses and standard form contracts entered into after the 9th of November 2023, or existing contracts that have been amended or extended after this date. But that's a topic for another day. It certainly seems that there's attack and time bars from two fronts. It certainly does. And I think that is all we have time for today. In our next podcast, we want to talk to two leading delay experts about how we can rethink time bars and rethink our approach to them. In other words, how can we be better? And I am really excited for this one. We'll discuss drafting tips and get some really great insights from the experts on how to rethink our approach to time bars. Thanks, Kate, and thanks you all for listening.